0: I want to introduce someone really special to you this morning, and I didn't tell her I was going to do this, but my oldest and dearest friend, and also the person I've known the longest, <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> Marianne Salerno, you'll stand up, Marianne, I want to introduce you to this congregation. Let's just suffice it to say that we've been through some things, and we've known each other for 30 years. And um, you do not have permission after this service is over to go and ask her lots of questions about me, okay? (laughs) She knows way too much, way too much. So I'm glad she's here. It's an interesting sort of uh, coincidence, really, that she's here because I wanted to start this message today with a story that is about she and I. And it happened about 20 years ago. She and I went on a trip to South Africa. And uh, we were actually there mostly uh, for business purposes, but we did plan some fun in. And, of course, if you go to South Africa or anywhere in Africa, you want to go on a safari. So we uh, did set out on a several-day trip uh, uh, to a safari, and it was a very interesting thing. Now, she and I, neither one would go camping if we could help it. <laughs> that would not really be our choice. Uh, but when you go on a safari, that is often where you find yourself is out in the middle of the bush, out in the middle of nowhere, and there's nothing like nowhere Africa. And, and you're, you know having to sort of get by with the bare minimum. Well, we were at our camp one day. It was in the morning, and we'd not yet left to go on um, our walking tour to see some of the animals. And our guide came running through the camp. And she was saying to everyone, if you want to see some rhinos, there are some that are moving around the edge of the camp. We may not see them any other way. This is kind of an interesting little thing that's just popped up, and they're moving around the side of the camp. So if you want to see them, come on with me, and let's go look at them. Now, Marianne and I come out of the place where we were camping. That's a different story I'll tell you someday. And I had on a bright aqua sweatsuit. And she had on a hot pink sweatsuit. (laughs) And we were both eager to go and see the rhinos. So uh, the two of us and a few other people in the camp out of about 20 all followed the guide so that we could go around to the edge of the camp and see the rhinos. Well, we followed them for quite a while. There were three of them. There was a a daddy and the mama and a baby rhino. We followed them around for a while. We finally stopped. Sort of uh, behind a little hill while while the rhinos went up the hill and went a little bit further out and then up another little hill and we could see them. After a little bit, as as we were watching them, our guide said, Would any of you like to get closer? (laughs) So the two with the bright pink and bright aqua suit said, Sure, we'd love to get closer. So we followed the guide um, up probably within about 40 feet of those three rhinos. So we knelt down and were very quiet, um, although our outfits were not quiet at all. <laughs> and uh, we were just watching them. It's just fascinating. They're the second largest animal on the planet, second only to an elephant. And so we're watching them. In a minute, I look over, and the guide's got her finger up in the air. And I'm wondering, what does that mean? So she quietly, real quietly, tells us that the rhinos don't see all that well or hear all that well, but they do smell very well. And that they depend on their smell to protect them. And since they have a baby with them, they're feeling very protective. And so if they smell us, then they are probably going to charge us and they could even kill us (laughs) to protect their baby. She's got her finger up in the air and don't you know the wind is blowing our way. In just a couple of minutes, the mama rhino turns her head, her ears start flipping around like this, and she locks eyes with me. (laughs) And so I just froze, and I was hoping, I hope you can't see, because I have on something way too bright, (laughs) and I hope you're not getting ready to charge me. And my heart was beating really hard. And at that moment, a scripture popped into my head. And it was this one. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. That's what popped into my head. (laughs) If you're interested in the end of the story, I'll tell you that some other time. But what I want you to hear from this particular story is that In a sense, I was forever changed by that moment. Because once I got to safety and I reflected on it a little bit, something had occurred to me that did not occur to to me before, which is that it was really different to be with a rhino on their turf than it was to be with a rhino at the zoo. What a different world it seemed to be when I realized that that open place belonged to them, and I was an intruder in it. And how it shifted my perspective of what it means to be in someone else's world. Today is the beginning of the Christian season of epiphany. And epiphany means that we are able to see or to know or to hear, or to be aware of something that up until now we have not been able to see or hear or know. In other words, maybe something is there, maybe it's always been there, but I have not been able to see it until now. So this season invites us to be looking for that which we may not have seen, but now we can. Another example that's less substantive really, is that about 10 years ago I went to buy a car and I bought a, a uh, sort of Williamsburg blue Pontiac Aztec car. I had never seen one like it. It was kind of an unusual looking car. It was an unusual color. Again, I'd never seen one before. So I bought it, I drove off the lot and was driving home and I saw six. <laughs> now I'm guessing that those blue Aztecs had been out there all along. But I was unable to see them, probably just because I was not tuned in to that Pontiac Aztec until I had one. And then I was tuned in. See, this is what epiphany is about, is that perhaps if we tune in a little bit, we'll be able to see what's always been there. But we didn't see it before. So we're going to start today with a new series during the season of Epiphany called, What Would Jesus Really Do? Now, you might wonder what that's got to do with Epiphany or why this seems so important. You've seen the bracelets and all the wear that has, What Would Jesus Do? This is a twist on, but what would Jesus really do? But why? Why is that important? Well, I want to show you some statistics that I believe tell us why this is so important for us to do. This was a survey done by the Barna Institute that shows how negatively people feel about Christians. In the far left column, you see some percentages. Those are the percentage of people that see Christians negatively who are outside the church to the right in that first column, are the percentages of people who feel negatively about Christians who are inside the church. And on the far right are the reasons that they feel negatively toward Christians. Look at this. Outside the church, 91% feel negative about Christians because of their stand as anti-homosexual. 87% feel negative toward Christians because they're judgmental. 85% because they're hypocritical. 75% because they're too political. 72% because they're out of touch with reality. But here's the good one. 68% because we're boring. (laughs) In December, in the paper here in the Chronicle, an article that basically says the same thing about a researcher, Kenneman, who is an evangelical Christian who says what he found in his research was that many Americans and most younger Americans view Christianity negatively. He said that what he heard most is that Christians were too judgmental. This is in our own local newspaper. Now, I think what we have to consider here is that if people view Christians that negatively, then you and I, are part of the group that has given Jesus a bad name. And so perhaps it is important during Epiphany, at least here at Resurrection MCC, for us to call ourselves to attention, to be aware, and to say, maybe we need to re-look who Jesus really is and what he really did and what he really said And see if we can't reform the kind of Christians we want to be. Maybe other churches won't do this. But we should. And so through the next six weeks, we're going to keep asking ourselves about some critical issues that Jesus has been accredited for doing or saying. And see if we can't take another look. I'm guessing... That many of you believe something about Jesus because someone else told you what you were supposed to believe. Or that the result of your belief is because a church said it works like this. Or Jesus said this, or this is the kind of character Jesus was. I want to invite you to look at it yourself. Don't check your mind at the door when you come in. But question and look and look deeper and see if there's something more to be revealed. So these are the things we're going to take a look at. We're going to ask ourselves, love or rules? What did Jesus really say? We're going to ask ourselves, hope or fear? What did Jesus really say? Don't you know there are lots of churches who just put a lot of fear in the mix to get people to do what they want them to do? Don't look at me like you don't know that. We're going to look at difference or sameness, fun or danger. Haven't some people said that it's dangerous to have fun? Gender or genitals. I know y'all are going to show up that day (laughs) just to see what I have to say about it. Giving or taking. These are fundamental things about being Christian. And it would be important for us to know, what did Jesus really say about this What did Jesus really do in these situations? And how do we become a group that folks don't look on as judgmental or boring or out of touch with reality? Don't you think that's an important exercise for us? Well, today the gospel reading is on this first topic, love or rules. I love this little piece of story about Jesus because the Pharisees, the people who had a lot of investment in keeping the rules, tried to push Jesus up against the wall and said to him, okay, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the first commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then he said, and the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I think we ought to look a little more closely at this and unpack it just a little bit. First of all, I want want you to notice that Jesus did not hem-haw around one little bit when he was asked this question. If you read other stories about Jesus, what you find is that when the Pharisees, the rule keepers, really pushed him and asked him all kinds of questions, he did mostly, he mostly answered them with another question or he answered them with a story. He rarely just like gave them a, a, you know, a flat answer. He rarely said it is this way. But when it came to the greatest commandment, Jesus was infinitely clear. It feels like to me when I read it that he didn't even take a breath. He had this right ready to say to the rule keepers, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. It works just like that. The other thing you'll notice here is that there seems to be an order. The reason I say that is that they asked him for this commandment, but Jesus gave them two, not just one. So there was clearly some order here. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love yourself so that you can love your neighbor. And then I'd like to point out that these three statements about love are inseparable. So the first one is love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you know, when we get really self-righteous and pious, we'll talk about how we love God with all our heart. But I think it's a little more complex than that. Because loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul only comes when you realize how deeply God loves you. When you realize that God has called you by name. When you realize that God knows the number of hairs on your head, when you realize that God knew you before you were formed in the womb, that is a God who is invested in you and in me, who loves us. And when we are loved that way, our only response is to love God with all our heart. But it's not a one way proposition. We don't just, like, love God with all our heart. We have to acknowledge how much God loves us. And then Jesus says, once we get that part, we can love ourselves. Some of us have known what it's like to have parents who didn't love us so well, and it's left us with the inability to love ourselves because they didn't. But in this case, God does love us in these ways, and so we have to love ourselves. And when we can love ourselves, then what Jesus said is, we can love other people. I think perhaps we've gotten this backward a bit. That we are sometimes all noble and we want to love other people and do things for other people when we don't really love ourselves. Listen, when I observe the ways some people love themselves, I don't really want them to love me. <laughs> you know, that's okay. <laughs> It's okay because if they can't love themselves, then they're not going to be able to love me. My dad used to say, Marianne, you'll remember this, you can't no more give what you ain't got than you can come back from where you ain't been. You say that again. You can't no more give what you ain't got than you can come back from where you ain't been. I think that's a different way to speak about what Jesus said. If I don't receive the way that God loves me, then I can't love myself. And if I can't love myself, I don't have anything to give you. I can only give you what I have. I can only give you the way that I know God loves me and the way that I love myself. That's all I have. And so I can't separate these things as if they go in little compartments. Oh, I love God with all my heart. Oh, from time to time I love myself. Oh, I really love other people. You can't separate it like that. You can't compartmentalize love. So when the rule makers asked Jesus what was the most important thing, Jesus said, whatever love requires, that's the greatest commandment. To do what love requires. Now does this mean we don't need any rules? Heavens no. Of course we have to have some rules. The question is what motivates our rules? Are our rules motivated because we want to control other people? Are our rules motivated because if we make folks afraid, then we can get them to do particular things? What motivates our rules? You know, as Christians... We would do a lot better if we could say what motivates our rules is what love requires. What love requires, that's what makes the rules. And you know what? Sometimes love requires that we hold people accountable. That's love. Sometimes it requires that we stop enabling people. But the question is, where. Is the motivation? What is the intention? And it looks like to me that Jesus said to the rule makers, do what love requires. Today is also historically in the Christian faith, Baptism Sunday. And when Jesus at his own baptism came up out of the water, A dove landed on his shoulder, and the Spirit of God spoke and said, You are mine, I love you, and I'm proud of you. So, out of the waters of baptism, God said to Jesus, This is what love requires. I love you. You are mine, and I'm proud of you. That's what love requires. So this morning, I want to invite us all into a spiritual affirmation of uncovering what we haven't seen and doing what love requires, especially when we look at what Jesus really said. Do this affirmation with me. Say it with me. I will love God so that I can love myself, so that I can love others. Now say it like you mean it. I will love God so that I can love myself, so that I can love others. Baptism in the Christian church is one of the ways in which we have imposed rules. Rules about who can be baptized, how they can be baptized, do they have to be dumped, can we sprinkle them, can we tap water on their head, what can we do, what's right, what's wrong. These are all rules about a rite of the church, about a ritual of the church today. I want to invite us to just uncover something here. In this room, we've come from many different faiths, and some of us have come from no faith at all. And so we hold a whole lot of different beliefs about this thing we call baptism. Jesus said, do what love requires. I think what love requires today is, let's engage in baptism. But let's engage it this way. Let it be a symbol to you, For whatever you need. And whatever that is. Let yourself come up. Out of the waters of baptism. Saying I will do. What love requires. I will love God God with all my heart. And love my neighbor. As myself. In a minute as the choir sings. Our pastors are going to move into the aisles. And as, as you feel like you want to. Come and allow them to put the water of baptism on you and to remind you of what love requires and allow it to mean to you whatever you need, whatever is important in this moment. It is my prayer that when you receive what love requires, then you will give it away. May it be so. Come as you feel led.